right, so Acts, you open your Bibles. If you're in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, you can go a little bit to the right. If you're in Romans or Ephesians, you're going to go the other way. Um, by my count, we are about two-thirds of the way through Route 66. So we're making progress, and it's great. And just one prefatory note, this sermon has a lot of questions in it. Um, I'm not going to answer them all. That, that's homework for you, but I just want you to know up front, a lot of questions are going to be coming from me to you, so be prepared for that. Acts 1, starting in verse 7. Then Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Please pray with me. Father, your word is um, truth. Your word is life. Your word is life-giving. Your word is a double-edged sword and it pierces us to the separation of uh, flesh of marrow, of soul, and of spirit. And it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And, and Spirit, I would ask you today that you would allow your word, the word, to do that work today in us. That you would affect us, that you would change us, that you would make us men and women ready to serve the living God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So here's the first question. Have you ever had a time in your life when you had to make a decision and the obvious decision, the obvious choice didn't seem like the best choice? Or perhaps you've been in a situation where you know you need to do something different, but your mind is that proverbial blank wall. It is my guess that most of us have been in that situation one way or another in our lives. Perhaps even now, the uncertainties of life, the unknowns that are, that are pressing upon you are here, present with you in this room. And maybe, just maybe, you are like what Robert Frost would, Robert Frost would say, you are at two roads that are diver- diverging in a yellow wood. And in essence, that is where we find the very first followers of Jesus. Consider their situation. Jesus had, they had been with Jesus for three years, give or take, and then he was brutally executed in front of them. And the authorities of that day subscribed to the philosophy of guilt by association. So they were in fear. They were afraid. And then Jesus' amazing... Yeah, let's be honest, hard to imagine, hard to fathom resurrection, it would seem that any reasonable person would ask the question, what now? What do we do now? So the book of Acts records various answers to that question in various situations from, the, from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 28. It shows shows what Jesus did through his first followers and then men like Paul and Timothy and Luke who came later. 
But it also invites us to ask the very same question. What now? So here quickly is an outline of the book of Acts. Uh, We won't go through all of this, I promise. But just so you understand the flow of the book, starts out chapter 1, the commissioning of the church. Then in chapters 2 through 7, really the mission of the, of the apostles and the early followers in Jerusalem. And then they spread out to Judea and Samaria in chapter 8. And then they spread, spread out even further to the Gentiles in chapters 9 through 14. And then there's the very pivotal Jerusalem council in chapter 15. And then it goes even further uh, to the mission to the Gentiles in the Roman, wider Roman world in chapters 16 to 21. And then the beginnings of the Roman persecution, starting in chapter 2, going through the end of the book, in chapter 20, 20, 28. Now, as many of you have noted, two weeks ago, when Ryan preached the book of Luke, this is now the second book. This is Luke's sequel. This is, this is the follow-on to that gospel. And I really appreciated Ryan's analogy of comparing uh, Luke to Star Wars A New Hope and Acts to The Empire Strikes Back because everybody knows Empire Strikes Back is the best of the series. Um, But I would offer an additional literary and movie comparison, that of the Fellowship of the Ring to the Two Towers. Just think about it for a second. The heroes at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring are facing several what-now questions. The, the group is, is, is going this way and that way. Some are being taken captive. Some are going off on their own. People are dying. And all these, uh, what do we do now, questions are arising. And if you think about it, from a literary standpoint, everything that f- follows in the next two books in that trilogy are the result of those decisions made at the end of that first book. But I also think it's important to remember that the book of Acts, although it can be called the Acts of the Apostles, is really, should be called the Acts of Jesus Christ. Luke even says it as he starts the book. He said, this, these are, this is a continuation of what Jesus began to do and teach. So it's really Jesus flowing from the beginning of Luke to the end of Acts. Jesus all the way. And Jesus acted in Acts four distinct ways. He acted through the proclamation of the gospel. The simple truth that we are dead in our sins, but we can be made alive with Christ. He acted through the miracles that gave a testament and authority, that attested to the authority that Jesus had given to the apostles. He acted through the changed lives of men and women who, through faith and repentance and obedience, were following after Christ. And he acted through persecution. Persecution that spreads the Gospels in ways that the apostles, quite honestly, were not willing to do on their own. But as I've considered the entirety of the book of Acts, I've come to this hard realization, at least for me. It's very easy to read the book of Acts as a history book. But it's something more than that. And I think if we just spend these few minutes this morning thinking about it, probing it, asking questions of it, 
we will see that it is definitely something more and a great gift from God. We can ask questions like, what can we learn from the effective preaching of God's Word? And not just the sermons, as good as they are, but how those sermons were preached. How did Paul approach this audience versus that audience? How did Peter preach here versus here? What can we learn from the miracles that God does through the apostles and how those miracles transform people's lives? What can we learn from the men and the women who take seriously the call of Jesus to faith and to obedience? In fact, obedience that often leads to death. And what can we learn from the persecution that comes from the outside, from the government, from within the own religious community that the, that the early apostles were in, and even from with the friends that they surrounded themselves with? Along with all of this, what can we learn from ordinary men and women? And let's be honest, that's what these people were, ordinary men and women like you and me, who faced that question of what now? And here's my challenge to each of us. Let's ask questions. Let's just ask questions of the text. Why was this written? Not just Acts but the certain sermons that were recorded, certain persecutions that were recorded, certain events. Why do we have it here, 2,000 years later, here or here? Why, why is it here for us? What can we learn from that? Let's ask questions of God. What do you want me to see? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to grow? And let's ask help from the Spirit because that's his title, Right? The helper? Will you help me grow? Help me dwell with Christ in his word. Will you help me to live in a manner worthy of the calling that I've received? And let's ask questions of ourselves. Are we ready to listen to God and his word? Are we ready to love Christ and obey him? So these have been my prayers and my personal questions as I've been soaking in this text and soaking in in preparing this sermon. So why were certain sermons recorded? Why were certain miracles performed? Why were certain acts of obedience shared? Why were certain persecutions listed and not others? What can we learn about faith? What can we learn about boldness? What we can learn about submission to and defiance of authority, because quite frankly, they're both shown in Acts. And what about following God's leading? What about unconstraining the gospel? What about moving when God moves us? And what about stopping when God stops us? And with all of that, I need to say this. We need to simply dwell with Jesus in his word. So if you remember nothing else, please remember this. We need to let God's word soak into us. Let the sermons and the miracles and the obedience and the persecution be like summer rain or fall snow on the ground that saturates and nourishes our hearts 
in God's creation. So I, I can't trace out the whole book of Acts. That would be um, a fool's errand for one sermon. But I do want to start with one overarching thought. What was Luke's goal as he wrote the book? What was the what now question he was trying to answer? And that's simply this. What should the apostles do? What comes next after Jesus' death and after his resurrection? What's going to happen to the gospel? What's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen to them? What comes next? Because quite honestly, Jesus' mission does not end with his death. It does not end with his resurrection. It does not end with his ascension. The big story, right at the beginning, we read it, but we'll read it again, is this. Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Very clear, very upfront. Here's the point. We are not in control of the process. God's in control. God's running the show. It is God's process. But we are part of the plan. The gospel will go forth, and we will be God's witnesses. Whether it be here or there or wherever God leads us, whatever situation he's in, We are God's witnesses in his bigger purpose and plan. But under that big banner, under the scope of all of that, I want to look at three very specific what now moments. And the first one is in Acts chapter 2. So you have to remember the context. And if you still have your Bibles open, you can flip one page from Acts 1 to Acts 2. But remember the context. Jesus died on Passover. He was raised three days later. In Acts 1, we're told that he spent 40 days with his apostles and that we know from the Jewish calendar, Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. So 40, 10, 3, you put it all together, it's less than two months between Jesus' death and where we are right now. Now, I don't know about you, my memory's not the best, but two months isn't that far back in time. I can remember what happened back in September, right? We all can. And that's how real this is to the apostles. This is how the, the, the nerves are still raw. The fear is still there. And they're doing what Christ had commanded them. They're waiting, right? They were told to wait in Jerusalem. But they, they are men and women just like us. They had to be asking the question, what now? What do we do now? So along comes the Holy Spirit with a resounding answer to that question. First came the miracle, then the gospel, and then the response. So the miracle. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, that would be the apostles, the, the, the followers of Christ, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and the divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance 
Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. And at this, at this sound, the, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we have heard each of us in his own native language? So God has opened the door. He has prepared the path for the gospel message that Peter preaches next in three points. First point is this. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Amen. All right. And second point. Jesus, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it is not possible for him to be held by it. And point number three, let the whole house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then Peter applied the sermon. Now when they heard this, they were all cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What now? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And what was the result? Those who received his his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they voted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. So here is the beginning of the church. God answers the apostles' what now question with the miracles, with preaching, with salvation, and with obedience. See God's faithfulness in all this as he's bringing lost souls into his kingdom through the proclamation of the word. And it is no different from Acts 2 to today. It's the same truth. It's the same word. It's the same salvation that's available to each one of us. Now, I know that there's some people sitting in this room who have probably heard the gospel a hundred times, a thousand times. This simple reality, Jesus died so that you could live. Or maybe you're hearing that truth for the very first time today. It really doesn't matter. Hear what Peter said. Here's what God's word says. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What matters is this. What now? What will you do with this truth that's in front of you? Will you respond like those in Jerusalem? Will you receive the free gift of Jesus' salvation? And what about the rest of us? Those of us who have followed Jesus for years, perhaps for decades, What are we to learn from this passage? Is it more than a history lesson? I think it is. Is it more than facts for Bible trivia night? Probably. Ask yourselves, 
What now? What do we do now? And there's at least one thing that I'd like us to consider. Look with me again at Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So there's one word in that verse that jumps off the page, at least to me. Maybe you see it? The word that's translated by the ESV and most other translations is the word devoted. And several translations actually capture the tense of the verb, which is this ongoing action, continually being devoted. But what does that mean? What does devoted mean? So if you looked in the dictionary, you would say it's to be earnest towards something or to persevere in something, to be constantly diligent with something, to attend diligently, to adhere closely. And those are all good. They're close. They're right. But I think we need to chew on it because I think this word devotion means something more as it applies to Christ. We need to ask questions of this text, of God, What does it look like to be devoted? Am I devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers? If not, how can I grow in my devotion? If I am, how can I grow in my devotion? And wherever we're at, how can we help others grow in their devotion to Christ? In his church. So here's a tricky part, and a lesson that I've had to learn from a few wise teachers. I really can't answer that question for you. I mean, I can tell you how the Spirit has provoked me in my devotion through reading God's Word, through spending time in prayer, through through taking time to meditate on the truth of Christ. I could give you three helpful tips, or six steps, or 12 things to do, but I'm not going to do that. Because hear this clearly, I am not the real teacher in this room. And if you have any doubt, Matthew 23, 8 through 10 should take care of that for you. And I am certainly not the author and perfecter of your faith, right? Hebrews 12, 2. There is only one person, one person, who can show us what devotion looks like. There's one person, and his name is Jesus. So here's my takeaway. You need to slow down. right? And this is the worst time of the year for me to say that, but it's true. We need to slow down. We need to take some time today and honestly ask God what devotion looks like. Take this, put it down, and say, God, what do you have for me? And let's actually listen for God's answer. I have another what now moment uh, found in Acts chapter 10. This is is really the turning point and part of the flow of Acts. And at Caesarea, there was a man. His name was Cornelius. He was a centurion. 
He was a devout man who feared God, and with all his household, he gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel from God come to him and say, Cornelius! And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial to God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. So if you've read through the book of Acts and studied it all, you know that through the first eight, nine chapters, all of the ministry has occurred to either Jews or people who are directly connected to Judaism. Now, however, here's Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a Gentile. And he's praying to God, and he's actually instructed by the angel to seek out Peter. But can you see the what now moments coming? What's Peter going to do when these people arrive? And if he goes to the Gentiles, what are they going to do when he preaches the gospel to them? And if they respond, what's going to happen to the wider leadership of the church who is all Jewish? So to answer the Peter question first, God gave him a vision to clarify his thinking about the relationship between Jew and Gentile. And of course, because it was Peter, he also had to have some very specific directions on what to do next. So first, Peter became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. He saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners on the earth. And there were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And, the, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No way, Lord! Not me. I've never eaten anything that was common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time and he said, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And then the thing was taken up at once to heaven. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit told him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Now I imagine there's many in this room who are thinking, man, I wish God were that clear with me. Right? Me too. I can sympathize with that thought. But I have to wonder, are we really listening as clearly, as intently as Peter was? Are we as quickly obedient as Peter was. There may be a, 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 a project 15 steps long, and I'm asking God for the 16th, the 17th, 18th step, but I'm not willing to take the first step. Maybe that's part of the problem. Are we ready to say, God, your will be done, and mean it, even if that requires resetting our priorities, resetting our presumptions about people? And things. So Peter went to meet with Cornelius, and after preaching, excuse me, prefacing what he was going to say and why he was okay breaking the Jewish customs, he begins laying out the basic gospel message. He says, We were all witnesses of what Jesus did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. 
They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So at this point, the Holy Spirit moves in the midst of Cornelius and all in his household. So Peter was still saying these things. The Holy Spirit fell on all of them and they heard, they heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for they, and, and they asked them to remain some days. So here's a miracle. Not in the miracles that we think of where, where, where somebody's healed of blindness or somebody's raised from the dead, but the miracle is just the same. There's a transformation happening in Peter's mind, in his heart, in his gut. And there's a transformation is happening on, the, on Cornelius' side as well. You have to remember the hatred in that society between the Jews and the Gentiles. If you've ever heard the term Gentile dog, it's not a compliment about a little cute little puppy. Gentile dog was the most derogatory thing a Jew could say about a Gentile. It was they hated each other. And yet the transformation here of, of cultures and religions, it's not simply that they change preferences like, I like the Lord of the Rings. No, I like Harry Potter. Or I like Mocha or I like Starbucks. It's not at that level. It's in the gut. It's at the root. It's hardwired in them. And by God's grace and the miracle, they've been transformed. And if I would have to guess, Peter did not expect this result. Maybe Cornelius would be responsive. Maybe he said, yeah, I want to hear about some more later. But instead, God does what he does so often and he blows the doors off our expectations. He breaks open the floodgates and he draws in all who heard the word. But that leads us now to another what now moment. What are the leaders going to do? The leaders in Jerusalem, would they have a rewired heart like Peter did? Would they see what God is doing and as we go for the rest of Route 66, you're going to probably hear this more than once. Church had an issue with Jews and Greeks together in the same place. So this isn't necessarily resolved here, but it sets the trajectory. Acts 11, Peter's giving the background of what happened. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it fell on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord and how he said, John baptized with water, but you, have, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us who believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to stand in God's way? Who was I? 
stand in God's way. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So right here, middle of Acts 11, is the reason we have the gospel. It was self-contained within the Jewish community. And the same pattern that you see throughout the Old Testament where they kept everything to themselves was happening again. And then God busts it open. And he'll bust it open again throughout the book. But here he busts it open to Cornelius. And the gospel goes forth. And the leaders say, who are we to stand in God's way? So many of us maybe are facing similar what-now moments. We could be like Cornelius, who is pleading with God for direction, for wisdom, for truth, and he points him to somebody that he doesn't like. He points him to somebody who would maybe he would disagree with on the political spectrum or the social spectrum. And yet God provides Cornelius with an answer but he also provides wisdom through a man like Peter. Or perhaps we're like Peter and we're called to go to somebody or some group of people that we think are less worthy of receiving the gospel. What God's word is saying here is everybody is entitled to hear the gospel. It is available to everyone. So let this text press on us. Where do you find yourself in this story, in this account? What miracle of rebirth do we need in our hearts, in our lives, so that we can be useful to God to propel the gospel forward? So I have one more little what now moment, and it's in Acts 21. Paul has finished his missionary journeys and he's on his way to Jerusalem. And he was staying in a town with some friends. And while, we, while he was staying there, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and he said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and all the people urged him not to go to Jerusalem. What do you do with that? If you're Paul, what do you say? People are prophesying to you. They're telling you, you're going to die. Don't do it. Don't go. So Paul has had many what-now moments, if you've read his missionary journeys, and he'll have more to come after this. But here's one that really sets the trajectory for the rest of the book of Acts, and quite honestly, to get the gospel beyond the eastern edge of the Mediterranean basin. Paul has to decide what path will he take. Paul answered them. What are you doing? Why are you weeping, breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, he ceased, we ceased, and said, let the will of the Lord be done. 
So there's very little comment I can add to that poignant moment. But elsewhere, Paul has said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So here in Acts 21, he embodies that statement. So Paul faced the what now of God's hard path, not by running away from it, but embracing it and following it and knowing that through it, Jesus would be exalted in it all. So in my heart, I really sense there's someone here in this room, listening online, that's facing what I'm calling an insurmountable decision. Your heart is breaking. Your tears are flowing. Your doubts, they're mounting. They're crashing in on you. And I don't know what that situation is. I don't know how the fear and the uncertainty and the doubt maybe swirling around you and, 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 and wrapping you and, and you can't see forward in any way. But hear this. God knows. God knows what you're going through. God is with you in the midst of the storm. And we just need to look back to Gethsemane, to Jesus, when he went through the same deep waters and trusted God for the, his path forward. And remember that Jesus has promised to never leave us, to never forsake us. He has called us brother, sister, friend. And he is interceding for us even in this moment. And as Corey Ten Boom has said, and I just found this providentially yesterday, there is no panic in heaven. Hear that. There is no panic in heaven. God has no problems, only plans. So I want to end where I began in the yellow wood of Robert Frost, two roads diverging. This week, we will face a choice or a path or a direction or an opportunity. It may be big and it may be small. But Acts shows us that these situations are not to be avoided. They're to be embraced. Let us live in in the gospel. Let us live out the gospel. Let us be devoted to Christ and his teaching. Let us seek God's direction. Let us ask God questions. Let us listen. Let us listen to his voice. And let us face whatever future God holds for us, which may include persecution and suffering, with the certainty that Jesus is leading us exactly where he wants us to go. Join me in prayer. Father, we love you. Praise you. We thank you for your work in our lives, and we know that you aren't finished with us. 
you are growing us every day to be more and more like your son Jesus. And sometimes, Lord, you use hard things to grow us. Sometimes you use decision points in our lives. And we say, what now? And when we say that, when we ask that question, let us listen to your voice and follow your leading so that you may be glorified in our lives and your kingdom may grow and prosper and that Jesus may be glorified in it all. We praise you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.